another episode of Bully Ball. I'm Jason Aponte, joined by the biggest riser of the NFL draft, Stephanie. It's Stephanie Sanchez. I'm sorry, I'm gonna stop doing that. No, Stephanie no, we're Sanchez. Not doing that again. No, we're not doing that again. How are you, Steph? I feel like I haven't seen you in forever. Too long, too long, man. Uh, yeah. those, those are some some fun times, uh, you know, being out there together and you know being around all the guys and yeah, it was it was a lot of fun being at the combine. I think the best thing about the combine experience that we had because we were there the entire time. Well, you stayed longer than I did. I had to get back home. Was just seeing your confidence grow. I mean, in the beginning, it felt like you were just trying to get your footing, try to figure out, you know, how the experience went. I think we all have gone through that. This being my second combine, this one being your first. But when you hit your stride, when you were talking to players, you're firing off questions. I love that stuff. I love seeing you grow. I think you smashed this week in terms of the content. If you guys were not following her, basically every person that you found out was interviewing with the 49ers formally or informally. It probably came from Steph. It probably came from Jordan. It probably came from Brad. They were working all the podiums and working nonstop, even though Steph and I didn't really get too much sleep. Um, <laughs> during the honestly, time we were there, because... that's the most impressive part. Honestly, the fact we were running uh-huh. on like four hours of sleep, but we just kept it rolling, man. Uh huh. Half the combine is the after the combine, and that's the stuff where we're gonna start with. Um, you know, some of the people that we met, you know, Coach McDaniel was out and about, spoke with him a bit, met Von Miller, Rich Eisen, uh, you know, Ian Rappaport, uh, Kevin O'Connell. You know, we saw Mike Tomlin, Eric Bieniemy. We also saw. John Lynch and Adam Peters. Steph, everybody's been on the edge of their seat because you posted a picture on social media of you standing in front of Lynch and Peters. Do you want to regale them with the tale of what happened when we encountered the general manager of the San Francisco 49ers and his head and the head scout? Yeah. So first we saw Adam Peters and I was like, and then Jay came once I said that, he like came to the spot and I was like, okay, so we're gonna say, what's up, right? So we made a lap around the place. We saw them in some like back area. I don't even know if we were supposed to be over there, but we made it in anyway. Uh, and Jay was the one that actually like started the conversation. He was like, all right, just get behind me. Watch this. Cause, cause Jay's great at like just going up and talking to people. And I admire that by the way. I, so I, I try to soak some of that in. Um, but yeah, so he talked to John Lynch first, you know, just shaking hands, saying what's up. And then he looks over at me. John Lynch does, and his face lit up a little bit. Yeah, Steph is underselling it a bit. John Lynch was happy to, you know, shake my hand. I asked him a question, but as soon as he saw Steph, it was almost like he saw an old friend. His eyes lit up. He was like, oh, and I knew immediately what it was. Jay was like, Nick Post video, and I'm like, what? No, no way. And he was like, yep. And he calls over and he says, AP, AP. He's like, this is the one that does the, the bullshit impression. I was just juiced, man. And John Lynch had me do the Nick Bosa video or the Nick Bosa impression in front of him on the spot. And I was like, yeah, if John Lynch asks you to do the Nick Bosa impression on the spot, you do it. You do whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, I'm just making some up right now. Lynch says, I'm going to send this to Nick. And he pulls out his phone. That's where the picture is. I took the picture, you know, while Steph was there. Thank you for the picture, by the way. Oh, yeah. I mean, I had to. Iconic moment. Nobody would have re- believed us if that's the case. And then John says, he says, hey, Nick, I got somebody who wants to say what's up to you. And he presses the button and turns it over. And and Steph right on the spot goes into it. Everybody's laughing, everything like that. Trust me, 
John Lynch was not interested in speaking to me or hearing anything I had to say. They were enamored with Steph. I love that for Steph, man. And that's just part of the the stuff that goes on. Yeah, dude, it was it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> like honestly, like I I can't even believe that happened. Yeah. Somewhere on John Lynch's phone is a video of me doing the Nick Bosa impression. Yep. <laughs> I had to say it again because I was just like, yo, that that hasn't sunk in yet. <laughs> Uh, but it was just a cool experience just knowing that like not only does like John know about it, like they all knew about it and and mm-hmm. here I am just thinking it's just this cool funny thing and also he knew the context behind it because he was explaining mm-hmm. it to Adam and he was like yeah so she found out that you know the that Nick Bosa was doing the speeches on Saturday and like he knew the backstory and everything so I was mm-hmm. like yo this, this is really cool um and you know, later I saw Adam Peters the next day and he remembered me. I, I shook mm-hmm. his hand and I was like, yo, how are you doing? And so just just the fact that they know my face, like now I can I can build off of that and see what happens. But it, it was cool. It was definitely a, a fun experience. It's incredible. I mean, and then again, you know, you walk around, you know, seeing Coach Tomlin, Eric Bien-Aimé, uh Steve Spagnola, Wink Martindale. I, I saw Jerry Jones. I saw Jerry Jones, Jerry Jones too. too. I mean, He's I left spot, and I heard that. I, I saw him. You and Jordan, I heard, uh, were able to see him and, and meet him, I believe. Um, I got a chance to talk to Kevin O'Connell and ask him, you know, if he could give 30 targets to Justin Jefferson. He flat out said no. So sorry, fantasy football um, fans. That's not happening. Coach McDaniel said he remembered me from last combine. That was really cool. Got to meet Rich Eisen, who was very nice. Had some interesting things to say about the 49ers quarterback situation. And, Steph, I think I kind of want to pivot to that, right? I think since we're in the 49ers sphere, right, like the world, We understand what 49er fans think of this whole situation. There's a clear divide. But you can correct me if I'm wrong. From everybody that I spoke to, whether it's the Bears team writer, the the Texans, the Titans, the the Bills, every single team writer that I was able to speak to and get some time with, when they found out that I cover the 49ers, they seem to have two two sentiments that were pretty unanimous across the board. One, Kyle Shanahan's an incredible coach. I even had one team writer tell me if Kyle Shanahan was fired, that his team would fire their coach immediately to sign Kyle Shanahan. So that's the sentiment from the outside. And then two was, well, what's going on with the quarterback position and why didn't you play Trey Lance to start? And that's literally almost every single person's opinion. Others said, hey, listen, we love what Purdy has done, all of these things. But the outside, if the people on the outside are saying this, it feels like it's a piece of context that is really good to look at because they looked at it impartially they have no dog in the race but they thought that was going to be the way to do it and here we are year three trying to figure out with Trey Lance Steph what did, what did you get from the people that you spoke to about the the, the 49ers situations well yeah definitely I mean the consensus of course by people who know football is that Kyle Shanahan is a genius uh but we knew that already Jay um <laughs> But yeah, as far as like the quarterback situation, you do get a lot of those like Trey Lance questions, like what what's up with him? Like, what are you guys going to do with him? And it's funny that we get asked that question like we know because <laughs> we have absolutely no idea. Uh, you know, we just kind of speculate a bit based on what we do know. And, you know, really, it's just that Trey Lance, I mean, they have to give him an opportunity just because they invested so much in him. I think that is the biggest question. Like if you invested that much, why isn't he starting for you? Why does it seem like, you know, 
he's getting kind of boxed out of the the situation a bit. And quite frankly, again, we don't know. Like that <laughs> that's the that's the crazy thing. We still don't know what's going to happen. We don't know the whys of you know this whole Trey Lance situation. Um, so unfortunately, I couldn't answer much, many questions for them. So if they were trying to get any good nuggets from me, they weren't going to get any. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but no, it, it, honestly, I think a lot of people on the outside think that the 49er situation is a lot worse th- than it is because you you don't really have a quarterback, but I firmly believe that the 49ers are all in on Brock at this point. I think that's the sentiment too that I got, not only from the, the, the John Lynch presser and everything. It's just the more and more you dig into the quotes, it sounds like Brock is fully entrenched as QB1. Speaking of Brock Purdy, today is Monday. There was a discussion Wednesday about his surgery being done that is now pushed back to Friday. And it's 40 days after the initial injury. This puts him on track for probably being activated closer to week one, if possible. So I would say that he's not going to be ready for week one. Maybe the 49ers do something where they put him on four-week IR, have him get ready, right? Let let Trey Lance take the reins, things like that. But Steph, are you a little bit more concerned about Brock Purdy, even though we don't know what it is right now? It is literally week one is six months away from that, that day. That's best case scenario. And Steph, again, when it comes to 49ers injuries, Hoping for best case scenario is probably not what's going to happen, okay? Um, And that's kind of where we are. I think there's a little bit more panic starting to set in, or I guess just uneasiness, because it's taking so long to kick this thing off. What do you think? Yeah, for me, it's not really panic, because in my mind, the way I see it, and the way I'm interpreting all of this, is that Brock Purdy is going to be the starter the moment that he's fully cleared. That's how I see it. So whether that be week two, whether that be by some miracle week one, maybe week four or after, he's going to be the guy. That's that's the sense that I'm getting. It's not, and I'm not saying that because I have a side in this. I don't care who the hell starts right. for the 49ers. Whoever the 49ers think is the best guy. Stop pushing your agenda, man. Yeah, there we go. So, you did not just... <laughs> Why did you just... I hate you. Why did you just send that right now? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just distracted Steph by sending a text message real quick. So I'm sorry. I just think it's funny. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> There's no agenda here. So basically what Steph is yeah. saying is just, I think common sense, <laughs> common sense would dictate that right now and by the time camp rolls around, Trey Lance is going to be the most healthy Right, and that's why I asked the question about a veteran quarterback. That's kind of where I was going with it. They is... bring some? No, no, no. They got to bring someone regardless. In, in yes. my opinion, the question mm-hmm. for them is, who, like, how good does this quarterback have to be? I guess you can say because if Brock Purdy is not ready week two, because I'm at this point, I don't think he's going to be ready week one. If he's not ready by week two, you probably need someone a little bit better, a guy like a Baker Mayfield, perhaps, you know, someone who can compete with uh, Trey Lance, because I thought that was an interesting name, honestly, because to this point, I'm thinking, you know, they're going to want to go with like an Andy Dalton. They're going to want to go with someone who's a little lower on the ranks a little bit. Not that, you know, Baker is some, you know, great quarterback, but he's a guy who would be able to potentially push Trey Lance out a little bit um so he has a starting experience he looked pretty good with the rams same system right so uh 
I, I don't know that that was an interesting name that was brought up. Then yeah. you have a guy like Mason Rudolph, another name who, that was linked with the 49ers uh, this past week. That's someone on the way lower tier. So that is someone who can be an option if Brock Purdy gets the best case scenario, the best news with his timeline. Okay, week two, week one, maybe looking good. Mason Rudolph, that's an option. But uh, yeah, it, it's interesting to see, like, I guess the the spectrum of quarterbacks that the 49ers are going to have to consider based on the Brock Purdy timeline that we're kind of just going to wait to find out what it is. That's what I tried to coax out of John Lynch, and he's too media trained for that. That's why I asked about veteran quarterback, and I think I was trying to lead him to if it's more severe, you would have to get a better veteran quarterback. If everything goes well, you would just need a placeholder. And that's what, but again, way too media trained. Had way too many people say, well, why didn't you ask this direct question for what? So he can give me the D.C. dip and twirl and say, neither quarterback is ready right now. They're still not cleared. We believe in both guys, and we're just going to take it day by day. And that's the answer you would have gotten. I mean, like, again, it's it's all about what time period the combine is at, right? There's not really too much information to give. Both guys haven't been cleared. So that's why I tried to bring that up. And then with Baker Mayfield, I spoke to somebody who covers Cleveland, and there was a large discussion that we had about Baker Mayfield not studying, not taking anything seriously. And I don't think Kyle Shanahan would be with that at all, even if this is Baker Mayfield's last ride. And as far as Mason Rudolph, look out at the corner of 12th and Main because I'm going to be sick. Whoop. No, no, Mason Rudolph. I don't want you either. Like, I would rather stick for a, a Jacoby Brissett, Andy Dalton, that type. You necessarily don't want them to play too much. But, you know, the Baker Mayfield thing scares me just because of what we heard when we were down there about him. And Mason Rudolph, I just I don't believe in him as a player. I just really don't mm-hmm. think that he's very good. And I, if he has to start games, that's not good. Well, that's and I what think I'm that's- saying. That That's what I'm saying. Like, if they bring in a guy like Mason Rudolph, the that would suggest to me okay, as soon as Brock Purdy's back, he's going to be the guy. They're not expecting Purdy to miss too many games. That's that's what that would lead me to believe if they brought a guy in like Mason Rudolph. Let's talk about the some of the rumors that Rich Eisen, who was down in the trenches out there. Uh, oh, yeah, you know, he, he had his <laughs> – what, what is that <laughs> saying? He had his ear to the, the ground, whatever the hell that saying is. Um, Tom Brady potentially could be back. I mean, that's one of the rumors he heard, and he he did preface the list of rumors by saying he doesn't know if it's 100% confirmed, but he heard it from multiple people. Sometimes when you hear things from multiple people, there could be some truth to it. Tom Brady would not exactly surprise anyone if he was thinking of coming out of retirement. That would be a name I'd be interested in. So the Tom Brady thing, I never really believed until I see retirement papers filed. And I really side-eyed the whole retirement thing when he said he wasn't going to jump right into broadcasting. Not that that would have meant anything either way, right? Like, when he said, I'm taking a year off, it's like, you're sitting there waiting for something. He's he's waiting for Brock Purdy's surgery, too. (laughs) Exactly. And I think we, we did hear a lot about Miami's willingness to move off of Tua. Um, Just based on, I don't know if it's just straight up based on health or play, whatever it is. Um, you know, because it was rumored, obviously, with what Brian Flores said that Sean Payton and Tom Brady were supposed to go over to Miami. But I mean, people weren't shy with saying, yeah, they're they're gonna be fast to move off Tua if they have to. I mean, he's on a rookie deal. They they really wouldn't have too much like to lose. I, I don't know what the specifics of the dead cap. 
But the Brady thing, as uh, until I see retirement papers filed, I still think he's sitting there in the shadows waiting for a call, right? Speaking of people waiting for a call or people who put in a call, Phillip Rivers called the 49ers apparently at the end of 2022, well, after Jimmy Garoppolo went down, just to say, hey, you know, you need me, I'll throw footballs. And he also called Miami. That's funny. That's one of the things that I spoke to McDaniel about when I saw him. I was like, hey, coach, it's like you and Kyle were trying to win more games. You know, you're trying to outdo each other with your third string quarterback. He was like, yeah, Kyle was just a little bit better at it than I was. Like, coach is such a vibe, man. It's so funny. But it's crazy that Phillip Rivers even saw an opportunity there to try and come back. So, Look, the quarterback carousel, all the things that are, are going to be happening, I think it all hinges on this surgery. And I think to bring it all the way back, Brock Purdy's surgery is really the crux of all this and really is going to determine things. I mean, we saw a domino fall today. The 49ers were never going to be in on Derek Carr. Look at, look at all the money that the Saints gave him. And I think that what is going to dictate what type of veteran quarterback they get is how confident they feel in Brock Purdy's recovery. And mm-hmm. that is going to be a sign. Like, if they go out there and get a higher-level veteran quarterback, then you have to think, uh-oh, something's wrong. Yeah. But if they get who we just talked about, like a, a Mariota or, a, you know, a, um, who's the other guy that we were just talking about? Uh, Mason Rudolph, like somebody like that. Then it feels like they're confident and they just need somebody who's going to take reps at, in training camp. So, you know, as the world turns and the 49ers quarterback controversy continues, but it does feel like Trey Lance is just – all right, well, you know, I guess we'll play Trey Lance. I guess, man. Like, you know, just let, you know, whatever. Yeah. Our number three pick, you know, we invested all this in him. I guess we'll let him play. And uh, I just I just think that that kind of feels weird. It should be more, there should be more excitement around being able to get to see Trey for an entire camp by himself and hope that he takes that step. So, again, for me, Steph, I know we disagreed on this. Best case scenario is that Trey goes out there and balls and at least makes it a discussion. By the time Purdy comes back, and because if, if they turn it right back over to Purdy, then it just means that I that that's it. Like I think that Trey Lance's time with the 49ers would be done. Yeah, I I agree. And <clears throat> the the longer this goes, and the more things I hear about it, you know, like it's it's just not looking good for Lance, um, in my opinion. So that's why I'm like, he has to do something real good, real crazy to to have the 49ers change their mind basically. And at this moment, it's hard to imagine that happening. So while I do think the best case scenario is Trey balling out and never looking back, I I see that as, as less likely, you know, by the week. But again, I think who they bring in as a, as another quarterback option, like you said, that that's going to tell us everything. But as of right now, what they are telling us is, is, indicating that, you know, they're not too high on Trey Lance, right? Everybody that I spoke to asking about the Trey and Brock thing is everybody was saying, play the kid, play the kid. And a high-profile person told me, well, I guess you got to play him. And and that's what I mean. It's like, well, I guess you have to play him. I, that shouldn't be the sentiment around the third overall pick. And I hope that Trey is using all of this to motivate himself and get back yeah, like, why does he feel like it's just like, well, I guess, you know, we'll we'll talk to you know talk to him about it. One little nugget I did want to give you: I spoke to somebody who was a who has coached Trey and Brock, a quarterback coach, who has has coached both of them, and I asked him specifically about Trey Lance and his his playbook that he was given from Kyle, because a lot of people have an issue with it. In terms of, well, why isn't he throwing the ball more? Why is he running the ball more? He was pretty adamant in saying 
Kyle was doing what he thought was right at the time of Trey Lance's development, and he had no issue with it. None. So it was good to hear Dude, that. Trey somebody who's wor- Trey. Uh, Trey. Trey had no okay. problem with it. And it, and his coach did, didn't either. Like, he, he was like, hey, listen, that's where he was in the development. That's where Kyle thought he could, he could maximize the offense. And he even pointed to the Seattle game and said, if you watch that game, the first drive they get down the field, okay, they stole out in the red zone. It's a field goal. The second drive, they were driving again. And he said that you could see him more and more getting there. So it's just a shame that it happened when it did. But yeah. for everybody, it's like, oh, well, Kyle's getting Trey hurt. I don't think his coach or Trey feels like that. I think that that's they felt at that time where he was in his development, which what which was what we all kind of thought was the way to maximize the offense. So we'll see. I mean, Trey's going to get all the time that he needs right now at this point. And uh, I'm excited for it very much. But it doesn't seem like people are. And I think that's very weird stuff. Yeah, well, there there's some people who are very excited for it, but <laughs> which I, you know, I, I don't blame them either. I'm I'm excited, but you know, it, it's hard again to be excited when you kind of feel like the team is looking for a way out of that situation in a sense, like, um, and just doing everything they can to, you know, get behind the the Brock Purdy train. There, like, shortly after these last few weeks i feel like there was just a lot of brock purdy content a lot of brock purdy content too much for a player who is hurt who's going to be out for several months you know what i mean like it it just kind of felt very intentional and like the the timing of it all to me is not a coincidence so um you know the the talk about the cognitive test that that felt like it was framed in a specific way you know what i mean and um, you know, all to find out that it seemed like Trey Lance wasn't that far behind uh, mm-hmm. Brock Purdy, right? So why is it a big deal in the first place to write an article about it, um, but only put Brock in the title, you know what I mean? So there's just th- things like that. And, not, you know, I respect these reporters, but I'm just, I'm wondering, like, what, I guess, the, uh, why there's so much, like, Brock Purdy content being pushed out there. Yeah, and it feels like the 49ers can always point back to those things. Like, oh, look, he was really good at this, and you saw what he did during the, you know, so, like, it just feels like they're giving themselves an out to go back to him if they feel that they need to. But, again, why would you be putting that in a a way that it almost feels like you want to? Like, you don't even want to see what Trey has, right? And I think that's the frustration. I think that's very valid from everybody. Okay. Quarterbacks are important, but there's nothing more important than kickers. And if you don't have a franchise kicker, if you don't have a franchise kicker, your team is doomed. And it's and that's it, right, at this point. So it's time, Steph. Robbie Gold, it seems like, has kicked his last football with the San Francisco 49ers. I just want to start this off by saying, John Lynch, Adam Peters, you're great guys. I swear to Superman, if you waste a third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round pick on a kicker, I will absolutely flip a table. You do not need to. There are free agent kickers that you can go sign. They are working at your Trader Joe's. They are working at your targets. You do not waste draft capital on a kicker, anyone. All of them, aside from four in this league, are expendable, okay? Seems like Robbie Gold wants to go back home, closer to home. Cool, get your bag. Thank you for everything, Robbie. But do not even think about wasting a draft pick on a kicker. If you thought I was mad about Mitch Wisnowski, I will absolutely lose it, even so, if it is for Jake Moody. What, what do you want him to do? So would you want Eddie him Pinero. to pay? Okay, I do like Pinero. Uh, Pinero. Would, 
Okay, okay, that's fine, that's fine. Because I was going to ask, would you want to play big bucks for gold or use a third round, fourth round no, pick on a kicker? a third game? round. My goodness. I had someone ask, say to me, um, well, they've missed on a third round over and over. Yeah, well, okay, so so basically what you're saying is instead of trying to correct what you've missed in the third round, let's just completely waste a pick on, on a useless player, right? Like it's instead of trying to get something of value, okay? Um, Eddie Pinheiro is probably the target. He actually kicks the ball out of the end zone. He was actually very good. Uh, again, the top four guys in money were like Jason Myers, Justin Tucker, uh, Robbie Gold. I mean, um, Jay's out there too. Yeah, there you go, uh, Graham Gano. I mean, look, yeah. for God's sakes, Joey Sly stepped in for <laughs> for Robbie Gold last year, the year before actually, and he drilled a bunch of 50-yarders. Sure, he missed an extra point, but he was hitting 50-yarders, and I mean, and he was off, off the street. I just, the main point is, please, please, this draft is very important because all you have are third, fourth, fifth, sixth round, seventh round picks. This is all you have. You don't have first and seconds to play around with. Please, you cannot mess around with this right now. Please, there, there is no team that goes into the draft saying we need to draft a franchise kicker. We need a kicker that's going to be here forever. Does not happen, and it does not matter. Does not matter. I'm sorry, stop. Again, unless that guy is the Tucker, um, then that's yeah. it. I mean, yeah, that's it. Yeah. I mean, Jake Moody's, uh, I guess, I, I don't watch a lot of Jake Moody um, or any of the kickers for that matter, but I guess he's the top one. So if, yeah. if there's a name that I know that's a kicker, then he must be good, right? Like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, he is good. He's Christopher Dunn at NC State. He's the best kicker, but I mean, I just have flashes of Roberto Aguayo. I mean, the Tampa Bay Bucks burned, what, what was it, a second rounder on him? And I mean, he was gone after a year or two. It's like, look, man. Do your due diligence. And here's the thing now. Here it is, Steph. Here's how I'm going to pull it all together. And Justin Tucker was undrafted, and he's the GOAT, undisputed GOAT. What if this just means, hey, Kyle, go for it on fourth down a little bit more. Hey, Kyle, maybe don't take field goals anymore. Hey, Kyle, when you're in a third and fourth down situation, call two plays, one that will get you closer, and then the fourth down play will actually convert it. Crazy thought, Steph. Maybe it's time to be more aggressive, as Kyle be Shanahan was the 27th. Be, be aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle was the 27th most aggressive coach. And throughout the season, you and I, Steph, were like, look at coach going for it. Still, 27th it was like in two, the It was like those two times. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It was like, oh, wow, he went for it on fourth. So listen. Wow, he's growing. So, so put a bow on it. Do not draft a damn kicker. Go for it more on fourth. Sign someone who can put the ball out of the end zone on touchback so you don't have any chances of kick returns. That is my TED Talk, and I appreciate all of you guys for listening to it. I don't, you know, personally, I don't mind either way because I could see it from the standpoint. Of, yes, I don't want them to use a third-round, fourth-round pick on a kicker. I I get that. But from the standpoint of, like, money-wise, obviously drafting a rookie would be way cheaper than, you know, bringing in a free free agent kicker. I don't know if it's going to be cheap enough to really make a difference, but, you know, from the money standpoint, I could see why they would go the rookie route. But that being said, let's not do it in the third, fourth, fifth round. Let's try that. Thank you, Steph. Thank you, Steph. I mean, if it's sixth round, I can grit and bear it. Like, I'll just say, okay, fine. You know, like, you, you, you know, that's fine, but... It's just too much talk about having a franchise kicker as if that's actually a thing. And it's just not. It is just not. There's no such thing as a franchise kicker. And no team wins Super Bowls because they have a kicker. Like, it just, it's just not in the cards. I would rather you just build up and try to have more players that can actually play football 
then kick them. Like, All right, like Steph. Jesse Bates. Free, right. Free, <laughs> right. David Akers was a, was a Super Bowl kicker, remember? So I, I think David Akers is a good case study into the, the fluctuation from year to year. The first year he made every single kick, I believe, for the for the Niners. The next year he couldn't hit from anything, and it just sounded like every time he went to line up, it was like the Peanuts music started playing. Like the ball was going to get taken away from him like Charlie Brown. So that's the thing. It's like you set your watch to the three or four guys that are there. That's why they're heavily paid. Justin Tucker is going to be a lifetime Raven. But after that, they're all just guys. Anyway, free agency is upon us, Steph. I asked you something I kind of put you on the spot before, but we're going to talk about it. One player on each side of the ball that the 49ers cannot afford to lose. Now, keep this in mind, Steph. I want to preface it with this. John Lynch is pretty adamant about Mike McGlinchey not returning because of the money. Okay? I think we can put that one out there, right? Like, And we, and we understand that. Jimmy Ward seems like he's not coming back, right? And mm-hmm. on offense, there aren't necessarily too many guys that you are looking to return besides Mike McGlinchey, right, when you think about that. There's more defenders than anything. But, Steph, I'll let you start with defense. Who's the one guy you can't let walk? I think I mentioned it before. For me, it's Emmanuel Mosley. Yep. Um, just because, you know, he's still on the younger side. He's the perfect CB2 for this team. I mean, mm-hmm. him and Charvarius Ward, I think, together are a great duo. I I was I admired what Lenore was able to do uh, in the second half of the season or, like, also in the playoffs. He, he stepped it up. Um, but I don't know how, how much you could depend on that. You know what I mean? So I, with Jimmy Ward leaving, I much rather have Mosley on the outside and have, um, Lenore go back to the nickel and there you go. Then you're suddenly you you've taken care of two spots, uh, with one move of bringing Mosley back. Right. So, um, for me, it would be Mosley on the defensive side, um, on the offensive side. I don't know. I don't, I don't think. If there's anyone, maybe Jake Brendel, right? Like that's that's probably the only guy who I would consider. I will say, like they met, they seem like they met with a lot of centers um, at the combine, so I don't really see that happening either. Uh, also, Brendel's thirty. You know, he's he's kind of up there in age as well. So, is there an opportunity for the 49ers to bring him back and it not exactly break the bank? Possibly, you know, I, I think that's possible. So I would explore that at the very least. Um, but, you know, it's I don't think there's anyone that I'm like, you know, slamming the table for on offense it would have been McGlinchey. But, uh, you know, now that, that that's out the door, um, I, I'm OK with anyone. I agree with the Emmanuel Mosley thing for two reasons. One, obviously, it's going to kick Lenore back inside. And that's a that's a hell of a trio right there. Um, but remember, Mosley towards AC on week five. So he's likely to miss some games early on, right, in the season, it looks like, if you're going on the year timetable. So, sure, you have Lenore out there. You put Womack back in the nickel for a little while. I think it's more for depth. Also, Mosley is not going to hit the market and get what he would have gotten if he would have finished out the season because that would be in, like, the $16 million a year range. So it'll have to be a prove-it deal. But it's depth, right? Another thing, currently, right now, and obviously this is going to change, the 49ers have two defensive ends under contract. That's Drake Jackson, and that's Nick Bosa. Everybody else is free agents. Um, so if pass rush may take a step back, depending on what they do, then you need you need your coverage to be even better. And and think about that under St- Steve Wilkes as well, too. So I agree with you on Emmanuel Mosley. I have an, a little bit more of an off-the-wall name when it comes to 
offense. So when you look at who's free agents for the offense, it's Mike McGlinchey, it's Jimmy Garoppolo, it's Tyler Croft, it's Ross Dwelly, it's Jake Brendel. Those are the guys on offense that are not going to be back, right? Probably. One name sticks out for me that I think is imperative for them to come back if they're about to do what we think they're going to do, which is replace right tackle and center in-house, and that's Daniel Brunskill. Daniel Brunskill is somebody who, again, anytime he's called, any position, anytime his name is called, he's solid. And you need to have him as a safety net. Now, he made $2.4 million last year. That number will probably stay around the same. But if you're right tackle, let's say it's Colton McKivitz, if you're center, let's say it's Nick Zakel, if either of those guys either get injured or falter somehow, you've got this fallback plan of somebody who's solid, and it's just considerable considerable bang for your buck with uh, Daniel Brunskill. So I do think that Daniel Brunskill needs to be back because like a utility baseball player who can play short, you know, third, second, first, that's what Daniel Brunskill is. And I think that's invaluable to lose right now, especially when you're looking at two essential essentially first year players with with Nick Sakel and uh Colton McKivitz if they do decide to go in house and not replace them with straight draft picks cuz if you look at the way the 49ers have drafted they usually draft guys and then they replace the guys that are going to leave right Aaron Banks steps in for Tomlinson Brenda was there but you know they they lost uh Alex Mack went with him sounds like Nick Sakel is going to get the first crack at center regardless if they draft somebody or not and then right tackle everybody's talking about Colton McKivitz to step right in so yeah, I, I do think that Daniel Brunskill needs to come back just to be that ultimate safety net and somebody who you can just rely on in a pinch. Yeah, that's that's not a bad option. But, like, I, based on the offensive linemen they were meeting with, they were meeting with a lot of versatile guys, which they like to begin with, right? Like, that's kind of, like, what they look for in their offensive linemen, guys that have played um, multiple spots um, or can, can do either side. <clears throat> um, and so I think given that, like, yeah, they, they could bring a guy like him back, but also, you know, they'll probably draft a guy too. Um, but again, it, it'll be to develop, right? Like you said, most, li- <clears throat> excuse me, most likely it would be to develop. So um, I think there's some solid options out there for them. And I, I think it'll work out. I, I know it's scary every season. We're like offensive line. It's, it's terrible. What are we going to do, man? And, you know, they end up, bringing some guys who they drafted last season. And so far, so far that has worked for them. Um, So I can't really knock it until it doesn't. Right. So I'm just trusting their process and cause, cause it seems to be working for them. Two more things kind of stood out to me at the combine is the 49ers met with every able body two arm tight end that was there. Um, So that means Tyler Croft, Ross Dwelly, you're not coming back. And the list of coaches who did not show at the combine stuff. Kyle Shanahan, Robert Sala, Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur. What do they all have in common? The Shanahan tree was not present aside from, from D'Amico, the Vikings general manager. Mike McDaniel was there. But all the other boys, they didn't make it to the combine. They were not interested in going. Kyle Shanahan rubbing off on all these other coaches. Look at him. But also for for Kyle, it's kind of um, twofold, right? Because he he also has a lot of coaches that he needs to, you know, kind of bring up to speed and everything. So I'm sure a lot of that has to do with him working with, uh, you know, his new coaches. Uh, but it, it's just never been his kind of thing. He he's valued more so just the being actual 
being able to actually watch the tape, you know, he's a big watch a tape guy. Uh, <laughs> so he probably one of those people that gets pissed off at, at people who are like, he's going, he's moving up the draft boards. Cause he ran this 40 kind of thing. <laughs> he probably hates that kind of stuff. So, um, and I, I, I don't hate it. I, I don't hate it. I, I don't, what's, what's the purpose of him being there? Because like we saw it, Jay, like, Honestly, seeing some of these drills, you can see it on TV. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, like you, you get all those times on bit. TV. It's like, do do you really need to be there? Honestly, that was probably the most boring part of the the combine altogether. The great thing is you get to interview players. I think mm -hmm. that may be beneficial, but at the same time, you you can communicate what you're looking for. And if you have a very solid foundation, everyone is on the same page as far as like culture fits, um, you know, what kind of personalities you're looking for on your team, then he doesn't need to worry about any of that and yeah. being present at, at any of these, right? So um, I think in that sense, you know, it's, it's not too important for him to be out there. I don't see why people, some people make a big deal about him not being there. Um, it's fine, man. The thing is, too, two other things. Um, I asked D'Amico Ryans about him bringing over any San Francisco 49ers free agents. And, again, he's well-media trained. D'Amico looks like he's been doing this for years, for years and years yeah. and years when it comes to that. Um, so, yeah, he was really good as well, too. It's just the presence of the 49er tree was there. Almost every podium that you were at, literally when John Lynch was speaking, it was Martin Mayhew. And I think it was, well, it was Martin Mayhew, and I think it was D'Amico as well, too. No, 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 wait, wait, wait. It was when D'Amico was speaking. It was D'Amico, Martin Mayhew, and one other person who was from the tree as well, too. Like, the presence of the 49ers organization and Shanahan was so obvious. And one other thing, when you asked offensive players what offense do they watch to, you know, that they would love to be a part of, it's almost at the tip of their tongue that they're saying Shanahan, the 49ers offense. We watch, this is what we watch over and over. So cutting edge offense organization, just churning out coach and GM after coach and GM, the 49ers presence was there at the combine one way or another. And it's not because Steph was crushing it with all of the prospects and finding out who was going to be there informally and everything as well. It's just, you could feel the 49ers presence there, even if coach wasn't there. Yeah, and it's cool also, like, in getting to ask, like, player questions, and you always try to use that angle, like, what would it feel like to, you know, be coached by a coach like Kyle Shanahan, right, and, and get to learn from some of the players that they have. Like, it's just, it's great to know that the 49ers are on that level where, one, like, the coach is admired that well, and everyone knows what it is with him. Like, he's going to be able to use your skill sets um, you know, really well. And, you know, all the players that they have as well, you know, Trent, I was able to use a lot of questions with him, with the offensive lineman. What would it feel like to, you know, be able to learn from a guy like Trent, George Kittle, like, dude, all of the tight ends were like, yeah, Kittle's a guy I, I model my game after. Also a lot of the running backs mentioned Christian McCaffrey. Like I, I definitely in these settings, like you're able to appreciate just how much like influence i guess you could say the 49ers and their players have on the league and even to the you know these these college players as well absolutely everybody wants to be a part of fun offenses as well too so steph what an incredible episode i just want to say one more time i'm so proud of you watching you grow this entire time during the combine getting your media reps in being being confident it was so good to watch and it was so fun to be a part of that's why 
I'm just like, man, I'm gonna let Steph cook. I'm just gonna go upstairs and, and catch some Z's real quick. <laughs> yeah, that was why. That was why. <laughs> I, I mean, I, we weren't sleeping. I mean, God, like, what are we supposed to do? We get back in the house at four. All of a sudden, we got to be back in the media room at seven. Like, it was just a wild time. We were just running on vibes. I think vibes was yeah. was oh, the yeah. main driving force behind that vibes and black coffee. I don't think I've drank that much coffee ever in my life for that entire time because. The media workroom had it just sitting there for free. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, John Lynch's favorite podcast is Steph Sanchez. Um, thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Bully Ball. Make sure you are subscribed to the Niners Nation and Gold Standard Podcast Network wherever you get your audio podcasts. Make sure you follow Steph on Twitter at Steph49K. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Jason Aponte2103. Leave us that five-star review so we can read it on here. Steph, it's been a pleasure. Until the next time, can't wait to see you again. Great work again this week. Can I say something? Uh, just like a little like shameless plug, because like if you guys don't follow me on Twitter, I'm just gonna say like I have been tracking like who the 49ers have met with um, in an actual like spreadsheet, right? So if you go to my Twitter, um, the link is there. It's pinned to my profile. Um, it's just a Google spreadsheet, so that's open to everyone uh, to see. It's not just players from the combine that I've been like tweeting out and reporting. It's much more than that. So I, you know, that's going to be the most comprehensive list you're going to find. And I'm building on it every day. Like I'm adding players, um, every day. And so just keep an eye on that. And, uh, yeah, appreciate it. Steph Sanchez absolutely crushed it. Uh, it's just, again, incredible work guys. You have to follow her, you know, the, the biggest riser of the NFL draft, Steph Sanchez. So for Jason, for Steph, we're out of here. Peace.